Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Steve Lawrence and Tara Green. Steve is an award-winning documentary filmmaker whose work has often focused on human rights and the arts. His films have been shown on PBS, MTV, and A&E, and other major networks. The Cat Rescuers, co-directed with Rob Fruckman, is his first documentary about animal rights. It looks at the epidemic of feral and abandoned cats in New York City through the experiences of four dedicated rescuers in Brooklyn. Steve got interested in making the film after he and his wife, Helen Garrett, moved into a new house in the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn and discovered there was a colony of unneutered feral cats coming to their back door looking for food. At this point, they were lucky to meet Tara Green from Brooklyn Animal Action, who taught them about trapping and TNR. Tara became one of the rescuers in the film. Steve and Helen got certified and subsequently TNR'd over 35 cats on their block. There hasn't been a new kitten in three years. As Steve learned about the street cat problem in New York City, there are over 1 million, according to some experts. He and fellow filmmaker and cat lover Rob Fruckman decided they should make the cat rescuers. For the last three years, they've been following the heroic efforts of Tara, Sassy, Claire, and Stu to save cat lives. Rob and Steve plan to finish the film later this year, and at the end of the podcast, I'll tell you where you can find out more about it. By making the Cat Rescuers documentary available to rescue groups and shelters around the country, they believe it'll have a major impact on awareness about what can be done to improve the community cat situation, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Joining Steve today is Tara Green, who's affiliated with a terrific rescue organization called Brooklyn Animal Action. Steve and Tara, I would like to welcome you both to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, Steve, this is an incredible project. So what started out as an idea of moving to Brooklyn took you on this path, and you found out more than you ever thought you would about community cats. How has that experience been? It's been exciting and challenging at times. Uh, As you mentioned in the intro, when we moved into our house and we discovered this colony of feral cats in our backyard, we were completely ignorant about what to do. What we realized pretty quickly is that many people on the block were feeding the cats, and so they were procreating like crazy. We had no experience with trapping. But again, as you mentioned, we happened to meet Tara. She helped us get educated and figure out uh, what to do. The really startling thing was to discover just how much this problem is replicated, not only all over Brooklyn, but in other sections of New York City. Not so much in Manhattan, but in the Bronx and Staten Island and Queens. When Rob and I realized just how many cats there are out there and how few people really understand what should be done, we decided that we had to make a film. That's great. And Tara, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with helping community cats? Sure. I'm a nurse and I was working at a nursing home in Manhattan Beach and there was a colony of cats there. 
And a lot of them were pregnant. A lot of them were having kittens. And it was right before Hurricane Sandy was coming. And I knew a mama cat had a couple kittens. So I went up there before the storm and I followed her and I found the kittens and got them safe. And then I just reached out to Brooklyn Animal Action about how I can start helping them. I learned about TNR. I took the course. And one by one, I got all those cats spayed and neutered. I got the kittens adopted. And it really took off from there. I just, once I started rescuing in TNR, I just continued full blown. So you caught the bug. Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. And, you know, it says here that Steve has trapped over 35 cats. And, you know, when you get to the situation where the colony, where you think you have maybe only one or two outliers uh, or two, you know, one or two cats left to get in the colony, getting those last two cats, it's such a great feeling. Well, I have to give a lot more credit to my wife, Helen, who has been more the trapper than me. Yeah, it's an ongoing problem. We haven't seen any new kittens, but occasionally there are outliers who show up. And then you have to be vigilant. You have to trap them and get them neutered, and then you have another mouth to feed. So I'll ask Tara, are you a big fan of the drop trap? Oh, yeah. I I just used it yesterday. (laughs) It amazes me when I talk to trappers that haven't utilized the drop trap because it's such an effective tool. to use. So I think it needs to be one of the things that all trappers have to have in their toolkit. And and every organization should have them, you know, along with all of their other supplies that they have to be able to manage the volume of cats that we deal with on a regular basis. Tell me about, you have this idea for the film. Um, Tell me where you are at in the process of putting this film together. We've been filming for three years. The process of getting it started required us to find cat rescuers. We decided we wanted to find three or four people who are devoted to doing this kind of work on a volunteer basis. After research and meeting many people, we decided we wanted to film with Tara and three other rescuers, Sassy, Stu, and Claire. And they're they're all in Brooklyn. We've been in different sections of the borough, very different sections And we've been filming them now for three years, which means following their rescuing exploits. Sometimes that can be uh, in a blizzard, when it's raining, when somebody is staking out a cat for several weeks or months. As you know, sometimes it can be tough to trap a particular cat. So at this point, the film is about 95% shot. And we're about to go into the stage of editing, and we're going to be doing a Kickstarter campaign to raise the money to finish the film. To date, Rob and I have been making the film out of our own pockets because we're cat lovers, and we feel that it's very important to get the message out about what can be done to help community cats, particularly to educate people about TNR. Is the hope or the objective of the film to make people aware of it or to make people feel that it's something that's possible to do in their community? Is there a specific objective or goal or is it more telling stories? Well, I think it's both. The stories of the cat rescuers are very human stories, but of course they also focus on cats. I think it's important for viewers to be able to understand the kind of dedication and commitment that's required to do this work. The love of animals, of course, drives it. And so we think that viewers will be able to identify both with the rescuers as people 
who have made a commitment to this kind of work and, and often have to make sacrifices of their own time, spending money on cat food and litter, and also to identify with the cats because there are millions and millions of people who love cats and are concerned about their welfare. Are there a couple of stories from all the filming that you've done over the last couple of years that come to mind as a way to sort of share with us a little snippet of what might be coming in the movie? Let me think about that for a moment, and and can we come back to it? We can come right back to it. I'd like to ask Tara, since I get this question all of the time, being up in the New England area, rescuers up here talk quite a bit about New York and sort of what what is life like for community cats in New York. Would you be able to share a bit of your perspective from being sort of boots on the ground? Sure. So I've met a lot of people that love cats and actually care for colonies of cats. Some of them don't know where to turn to get those cats fixed, but they provide shelter, they feed them. So that's where I step in and my organization. Some people don't have money. They barely have money to feed the cats. So, of course, I would step in and start TNRing those colonies. A lot of the cats I see are in good shape because they're managed by somebody that cares for them. And once you get them fixed, of course, they're in better shape. But I have run across, of course, colonies or just stray cats that are not in good shape. And those are the cats that have nowhere to go. I'll bring them in and see if I can place them in a sanctuary or if they're an older cat, I would just hold on to them and give them a good rest of their life. For the most part, I see a lot of colonies being managed and they, they look healthy once they're TNR'd and they have shelter and food. They're healthy, but that's few and far between. There's still a lot more colonies that need to be TNR'd. So your list is quite long of colonies that need to be spayed and neutered? Oh, yeah. I'm out every weekend. I'm out trapping. I just trapped eight yesterday in Coney Island, and, and there's about 10, 15 more there. But it's a garden that the man feeds them twice a day. They have shelter. So I'm going back every weekend until I get all of them fixed. And I remove some kittens over the weekend. So I just clean up one area at a time. But I'm always busy. I always have emails and people requesting me to come trap for them. Uh, one thing we try and stress is fix and feed or almost fix before the feed happens. But so many more people like to do the feeding. Why do you think that is? I think they just don't realize that they should be fixed. I mean, there's a lot of different groups of people in New York. So some people don't believe in getting them fixed. Some people, oh, I like the kittens around. Until you educate them that the kittens are going to start multiplying too, and it's going to be a lot more money to buy food, it just overpopulates. So you have to just explain and educate people that it's healthier for them. They don't fight to get vaccinated. So it's just healthier, and you have to just educate people. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the Listening Module tab, where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the Listening Module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. The Community Cats podcast is now getting over 3,000 downloads a month. The word is spreading, and we have a fast-growing listener support base. Would your business want to be a sponsor of the show and help us to continue our programs? To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com slash sponsor. So, Steve, you are going to say something? Yeah, I was going to give you the stories you asked for earlier. Sounds great. Okay, so... Here are a few. Tara was mentioning Coney Island, where there is a big feral and abandoned cat problem. 
And one of the rescuers in the film, Sassy, has often worked in Coney Island. And on one of the shoots we were doing with her, she trapped a big cat named Bubba, was uh, in an alley in Coney Island. Sassy is someone who does a tremendous amount of trapping, but doesn't get involved directly with adoptions or socializing the cats. So she, she handed the cat off to Tara. Tara subsequently got him adopted. She does almost weekly adoption events, right? Yeah. Often with Petco. This cat, Bubba, who is a big mush, as Tara likes to say, just the most lovable and friendly cat. Clearly, he'd been abandoned, found a wonderful new home with a woman named Lauren in another section of Brooklyn, Flatbush. Another interesting story, and it has to do with trapping technology, has to do with Stu. Stu is an electronics engineer, and as such, he has found a way to apply his talents to trapping. He's using a remote-controlled trap. Have you ever seen one of those? Yep. Okay. Initially, he built his own. He didn't know they existed. One day, he invited us to film with him in another section of Brooklyn, Prospect Lefferts. Again, this was in an alley between two buildings. These are perfect places for feral cats to congregate. You know, they're often in parking lots or abandoned buildings or alleyways. Anyway, these cats were very, very nervous. The only way it could work was for uh, Stu to use his remote control trap, and he can be up to 300 feet away from the trap. So he set it up. He showed us how he did it. He backed off at least 100 yards, you know, watched very carefully at the right moment, pulled the trigger. And it's just a wonderful moment in the film. When people see it, particularly people who are rescuers, they say, gosh, I want one of those. I wish everyone had one. Because sometimes the drop trap is okay, but you've got a cord. And sometimes you don't pull it at the right time or stuff happens. There are some very moving moments in the film. And you come to understand what's required to do this work. And you also get to see the results of the work with the adoptions, cats recovering from injuries and so forth be interested to ask Tara the question of making the decisions on which cats to bring in, how to determine whether a cat is owned or not owned. This is a hot topic that, that we have in New England, is really trying to ensure that we're not taking in somebody's indoor-outdoor cat. Do you have sort of a checklist that you go through mentally to be able to ascertain who gets returned, who comes in to get adopted, what sort of screening you do to help ensure that you're not pulling in an owned cat? The first thing I do is when it goes to the clinic or my vet, we check for a microchip. We check lost and found pets. If people lost their pet, I would assume they would put flyers all up. We make sure we're not taking an indoor-outdoor cat. But a lot of the cats we find that are super friendly are in not that great of shape. So they're clearly abandoned and they've been trying to survive on the streets. So we snatch them in and get them recovered and find them new forever homes. So you use more of the body composition as the way to tell the story. We'll hold a cat. If a cat looks in good condition, we'll hold it for a little while and make sure in the area we'll knock on people's doors. We'll look for flyers. We'll look for some indication that someone is missing their cat. We've been using paper collars up here in Massachusetts and putting paper collars on cats that look pretty good that are friendly enough to be able to do that with, to say, you know, am I, are, does somebody own me? Please contact the local humane society or the trapper or whatever. That seems to help out in areas where we've really done a deep dive in the communities with the community cats to the point that 
we have some areas where there's just very, very few community cats even out there. So, Steve, I want to get back to this Kickstarter campaign and about the movie. So what is your fundraising goal for the Kickstarter campaign? Our goal is at least $50,000. As I mentioned, we've made the film so far out of our own pockets. And this is the money that we need to get the film finished and get it out to the world. You have an email list, so folks are interested in getting updates. How would they be able to sign up for that email list? Go to our website, which is catrescuersfilm.com. Sign up for the email list. We'll let you know when the Kickstarter campaign is starting. There's also a demo reel, kind of a sample of the film on the website and some additional scenes. And I think people will get a good sense of the film if if they spend a few minutes there. Are you hoping that this film will be distributed, different film festivals and and that kind of thing? Rob and I are both award-winning filmmakers who have done a lot of very successful work, as you mentioned earlier, often in human rights, not animal rights. But we think the film will travel the festival circuit, but we also want it to be on a major broadcast or digital platform possibly Netflix. That would be a wonderful home for it. We want it to be available for community screenings, for rescue groups and shelters to be able to use the film locally and have it trigger dialogue about TNR, rescues, adoptions. This is very important. You have this wonderful podcast that you're doing. There are hundreds and hundreds of rescue groups around the country doing their own work, but the general population is pretty much ignorant about TNR. And I think having a film that could potentially reach millions of people can make a big difference. The problem is not just U.S.-based, it's international. I meet people from all over the world who say, oh my God, there's a huge problem wherever, in, in Turkey, in the United Arab Emirates. I have a friend who rescues cats in Abu Dhabi. There's a huge problem there. I agree with you. It's worldwide. I interviewed Mary Peng from China. Uh, I've had requests for assistance from Nepal. From I've also had Turkey. I, we've had folks on the show talking about their efforts in Argentina. And there's work in Italy. I mean, it, it is worldwide. It's a worldwide conversation piece as well as educational component. So I think it's fantastic, the project that you're doing. Just to repeat to our listeners the address for the website, people can reach out to you as well as to find out more about the movie. The website is? It's catrescuersfilm.com. It's all one word. And is there anything else that you or Tara would like to share with our listeners today? Well, I just want to say that education is really the key point here. We need to get out and educate more people people that abandon their cats, dump cats in feral colonies, bring them to a shelter instead, because it really just adds to the problem. All these these friendly cats are neutered, unspayed, are being abandoned on the streets and they're having kittens and it just makes it a lot tougher for us rescuers. So education and we just have to do something about that. I want to reinforce what Tara just said, but from a slightly different perspective. In following Tara and the other rescuers over three years, What we've come to understand is just what an incredible commitment that requires. And there is a certain amount of burnout. I don't know about your own experience, Stacey, but it's, it's, no, it's hard to imagine anyone going at this pace for 15 or 20 years doing that 
tough community cats rescuing, socializing, and adoption work. So it's really important that more and more people learn about what can be done so that they can join the movement. Because you can't do it with one Tara. You need 100 Taras. Or as Sassy says in the film, when she's talking about her own neighborhood, Canarsie, Brooklyn, if there were five people like her doing TNR in her neighborhood, the whole problem would be cleaned up in a matter of months. Many hands make light work. And then the other thing I used to always say is for every trapper we had, we need, needed four to five volunteers fundraising for that trapper's efforts. Yeah, and now fundraising for the film. Yeah, It's a big spider web that we have, and we want it to keep growing and growing and growing. And, and I agree with you. I mean, we had a team of about eight different trappers that took on the city of Lowell, which is a population of about 110,000 people, so much smaller scale than we're talking New York City, but yet it's still an urban and diverse area. And they were able to get that community under control in three to five years. And I think that with some good scale and support and help, you can definitely make a difference and every community can make a difference. Um, there's challenges with spay-neuter capacity in there that you have to work out. But once those things or issues are addressed and you can get affordable spay-neuter in your community, there's nothing holding you back, really, with regards to helping with TNR in your community. There's no reason why you shouldn't be doing it. We also help with the film. We'll wake up municipalities to what they should do. Sometimes it's hard for city governments to make animal rescue a priority. We're seeing some cause for optimism in Brooklyn because the borough president has shown some interest in finding a way to support TNR. And that's something that may uh, show up in the film. It may be one of the final things that we record. It's going to be an interesting story to follow. So, Steve and Tara, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show today. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. Once the movie is out and about, we'll have you back on and we can help you get some organizations to show it around the country. Thanks, Stacey. That would be fantastic. We'd love to share the film with your listeners. Thanks for all the great testimonials. Keep sending them in and submitting reviews on iTunes. I just thought I would share one testimonial from Wingchair, a visit to a whole new world. Although I thought I knew something about community cats, TNR, and other forms of outreach to help homeless cats and kittens, every single podcast I've listened to has taught me vast amounts of new material and provided many terrific ideas. It's a wonderful thing you're doing here, so please keep it going. Keep on sending in those testimonials, and thanks to Wingchair for that great testimonial. Also, I'd appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a five-star review there. That would be great help. Thanks so much in spreading the word about the Community Cats podcast.